Our sermon uh, tonight will be um, in the book or the letter of Philemon, um, verses 1 through 7. Yes, that's verses, um, no chapters. Uh, Philemon is um, a very short uh, letter, yet it is also one that is um, packed with, um, be- with a beautiful exposition of what the gospel looks like lived out in the lives of believers. Um, I chose to come to the book of Philemon because as some of you might know, um, off and on over the past couple of years when I have had the opportunity to preach, I've done a series through the book of Colossians. Um, And I I finished that uh, recently. Uh, And Philemon, um, the vast majority of scholars uh, considered to have been written pretty much simultaneously with the book of Colossians to uh, one particular family uh, in that church. And the, and the letter as well echoes uh, quite a few themes uh, from Colossians as well. So it fits together um, quite well. Uh, and I, th- I anticipate it will be a very short series, um, probably three sermons, but I trust that it will be um, to our benefit. Um, a brief overview of Philemon, uh, as, I, as I hinted, um, it is connected with Colossians. Um, in that uh, Philemon and his family um, were, were uh, almost certainly a family in the city of Colossae, which was um, a smaller city in modern-day Turkey um, in a valley close, very close, actually, um, pretty much just down the road from some other cities that you've probably heard of in the Bible, like Laodicea um, and Hierapolis, um, it was sort of a triangle of cities that were all about um, five kilometers from each other or something. Um, so these Christian communities probably would have been very connected with, um, with one another. Uh, they were also quite close to the city of Ephesus, which was um, the, the bigger major city in that region and where we know um, Paul wrote his letter to the Ephesians. And if we look at um, the book of Acts, we can see that Paul spent significant um, time in Ephesus doing ministry there. Um, And it seems very likely that the churches in Colossae and Laodicea and these cities came out of that work in Ephesus. So Paul is connected to them in that way. Yet as far as we know, Paul has never um, been there to Colossae. Paul, while he's writing this letter to Philemon, uh, he's imprisoned. He mentions that in this letter. He mentions that in his letter to the Colossians. Um, and from, um, from what we can understand in the book of Acts, um, it seems that he was in prison at Ro- in Rome at that point in time, waiting for his trial um, before uh, Caesar. And uh, here, the, the situation that prompted him to write this letter was Onesimus, um, a former slave of Philemon who had come to Rome, um, who, had, who had come to faith, and who was serving Paul faithfully. Um, and it, it seems um, quite clear that Philemon had run away from his master, from Philemon, and uh, had not only run away, but also stolen um, things from him as well um, in the process. So there was really a huge rupture of relationship uh, between Philemon and between Onesimus that Paul seeing as they were now both believers and both brothers in Christ, sought to reconcile with this letter that he wrote to Philemon. Our passage today 
um, if, you, if you just glance at it quickly, looks like it could be just a pro forma introduction that Paul is just putting on the front of it to be polite. Um, but I think that as we, as we study that for the rest of tonight, it will become clear that that is not the case, that Paul is extremely intentional, even with this introduction, and that even in it, we can find real principles that we can take for ourselves as the people of God, even 2,000 years later. It's an example, a glowing example, of Paul's graciousness and his tact um, as he uh, communicates with his brothers and sisters in Christ, as someone who, um, even though he was uh, high, extremely high, great in authority uh, in the church, how he didn't use that as a hammer to force the people of God to do whatever he wanted, but that he approached them with graciousness and with humility. We also see that in this passage um, how Paul shows um, how the Holy Spirit works in the people of God um, and, and works powerfully to bring about fruit in their lives. So with that said, let's uh, read verses 1 through 7 of Paul's letter to Philemon together. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Amen. This is the inspired, infallible, inerrant word of God. May he use it for our benefit and for his glory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Apostle Paul and for the incredible work that you did in his life and for the things that you did through him, Lord, um, for the scripture uh, that you um, used him to write, for um, the churches that you used him to plant, for the way that he brought the gospel to the Gentiles of whom we are all members. And Lord, we pray that as we study this letter um, tonight, that you would use it to great effect in our lives, that you would use it to uh, encourage us when, when we are discouraged, that you would use it to convict us, if we are living in sin, that you would use it to um, <clears throat> comfort us if we are suffering, and that um, you would use it to glorify yourself, that, that you would be made great in our eyes, and that we would be made smaller. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so, as, we, as I mentioned in the introduction, um, Paul was, when he wrote this letter, a prisoner a prisoner, um, presumably, in Rome. And yet the fact that he mentions that at the very beginning of the letter, identifying himself as a prisoner, um, I think is something that is uh, very significant. 
Um, usually, Paul would identify himself as an apostle, which he was, um, or as a slave or servant, but slave is probably a better translation of Jesus Christ. Yet he decided not to use either of those terms here in this letter, but to use prisoner. Why is that? Um, I think it's quite likely um, that it was, one, he didn't want to call himself an apostle because he didn't want to come across, as as I hinted at before, wanting to hit Philemon over the head with a hammer and force him um, to do this thing, but rather wanted to see Philemon make the right decision um, out of the Holy Spirit's work uh, in his heart, Um, something that would bring far more glory uh, to God. And he doesn't identify himself as a slave. Um, I think that that's, and and most scholars would think that that's probably simply because it would have been seen as a little bit tactless if Paul, in a letter about how um, Philemon um, should release Anisimus a slave to call himself a slave of Christ, it would be a little bit too on the nose. So instead, he uses a prisoner, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, but you could also translate it prisoner of Christ Jesus. So Paul is a prisoner um, for Christ Jesus' sake. He's not in prison because he's uh, some kind of criminal or lawbreaker. He's in prison because he does not uh, he does not follow the Roman commands to worship God. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Um, he is in prison because he is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and he refuses to stop. I think that's um, an incredibly um, significant, incredibly beautiful thing. He's a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Um, and you could even say also he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Um, Jesus, Jesus has conquered him. He's um, taken him captive out of his out of his life of, um, of persecuting the church of Jesus Christ and has taken him for himself to serve him and to serve his church. So Paul is um, a prisoner. Um, then we see that he mentions Timothy, our brother. Um, some people will want to say that, that Timothy was sort of a co-author of this letter, um, but but Paul is speaking um, directly from himself throughout the rest of the letter, as we can see. He's not including Timothy and saying we all the time. Um, it's written by Paul. But Timothy was someone who uh, Philemon um, and some of the people at Colossae probably knew because he was with him in Ephesus doing ministry, as we can see in Acts. And it's also quite possible that Timothy was the one who was um, actually writing the letter as Paul was dictating it. I think a lot of us nowadays can think that, um, you know, about the people who are writing down Paul's letters as just these sort of random, no-name scribes. Um, and it's quite a cool thought to think that maybe this is Timothy who was writing down um, this letter. Um, and so Paul, um, and with Timothy alongside him, is writing this letter to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker. Who was Philemon? Um, well, we know a few things about him from the context. First off, he was someone who was very wealthy. He was wealthy enough to have slaves who were not 
certainly not cheap to purchase, and we're certainly not cheap to provide for. Um, and he was wealthy enough to have a large home, a home that could uh, host an entire church to meet within it, um, as, we can, as we see um, where Paul says, in the church in your house. Um, to, to have a house large enough to host an entire gathering of the people of God meant that you were somebody of considerable means. Yet at the same time, he was also a faithful believer. He was someone who clearly, as, as Paul will describe, loves God, loves God's people, and has real faith in Christ Jesus. And that is um, a rare combination. Um, I can't speak to the demographics of, of our current age, um, but in, in, in the early church, a very large proportion of the congregation would be made out of women and made out of slaves, out of people who had a lower status in society and who, thus the radical message of the gospel, of reconciliation with God, of storing up our treasures in, in heaven, of the temporality of this age, was more appealing. Um, even as Jesus himself says uh, in the gospels, that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Yet as Jesus also says about, when questioned about that by his disciples, that all things are possible with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can work miracles, and he, can, he could bring even wealthy men um, like Philemon um, to embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ, which would have been even more radically countercultural for him than for many of the other people who were there in the church with him. So Philemon was an example of the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit in people's hearts. Um, then we have uh, Aphia and Archippus. Um, there's been a, a lot of speculation about who exactly they are. Aphia is not mentioned anywhere else. Archippus is briefly mentioned in Colossians. Um, but it seems clear, because they're included here, that they were both a member of Philemon's household. Um, Aphia was possibly um, his wife. Archippus is possibly his son. Um, and Archippus also, as Paul mentions in Colossians 4.17, had a ministry that he was commissioned to do. A ministry that the church was supposed to make sure that he did. So clearly this was a household. Not just Philemon, but his entire household was dedicated to Jesus Christ and to his people, to his church, to serving them. Um, that, and, the, and this church was meeting in their home. So this was an uh, exceptional family that Paul was writing to. And what is the first thing Paul says to them? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, this is something that's really common um, in, in, other, in other epistles and other ancient literature. Um, pretty much everybody would include some kind of greeting. And Paul always did um, in his epistles. Um, and in fact, Paul uses this exact same one, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ in Romans chapter 1, verse 7. Um, and it's so easy for us to just skip over this verse um, without thinking about what it means and what it entails. But it's really, uh, it's really important and significant and beautiful what Paul says here. 
He says grace to you. Grace that really, if, if you could pick one word to describe the contents of the New Testament, grace would be one of the top candidates. It's the word that sums up the incredible work of God in the gospel in giving us his son to die for us and to give us his righteousness when we have utterly uh, not deserved it, when we were utterly undeserving, when we were enemies of God, God gave us Jesus Christ and plucked us out of our sin, out of our misery, out of our enmity with God and, and took us for himself. This is an incredible message. I mean, an incredible, uh, uh, incredible grace, amazing grace, as the famous hymn goes. And peace, uh, peace is the result of this grace. Peace is the reconciliation that we have with God. We were once his enemies. We were once against him. We were once sentenced to death because of our sin. And now we are reconciled to God in beautiful peace. And this harkens back to the Old Testament as well. If we think of the New Testament as grace, peace is a huge theme in the Old Testament. And I just want to mention a few um, passages in Isaiah. Uh, in Isaiah 52, uh, 7, you see uh, the prophet writes, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, the gospel, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. And then in chapter 55, verse 13, all your children shall be taught by the Lord in great shall be the peace of your children. The promise of God to us and to our children. And Isaiah chapter 66, verse 12, for thus says the Lord, behold, I will extend peace to her like a river and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream and you shall nurse, you shall be carried upon her hip and bounced upon her knees. So peace is a theme that resounds throughout the Old Testament. And then Paul, in the sort of sister letter to this one, um, if you want to call it that, um, in chapter 1, verse 20 of Colossians, um, he writes, if I can find it here, and through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself, to God, all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This peace that's promised all throughout the Old Testament is accomplished in Jesus Christ. So grace and peace to Philemon. Grace and peace comes to us from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ through their incredible work for us on our behalf. Um, then we have also, we see in, in the end of that greeting, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ set right next to each other. There were heretics who came up um, in close to um, Paul's time. There have been heretics throughout the past 2,000 years into the present day who try to say that, that Jesus Christ is not God, 
he's, he's separate in some way, shape, or form. But Paul here puts the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ right next to each other on equal footing. Jesus Christ is God, and it is because of that that the work that he did is effective for us. What can we take from this uh, first um, greeting section? We can, we can see that, like Paul, we should approach people not with um, presumptuousness and, and hitting them over the head with, with our authority in a dictatorial manner, but we should approach them, approach our brothers and sisters in Christ with humility, with gentleness, with kindness. And we can see that like Paul, this grace and peace that he speaks of, we must seek this for ourselves and we should seek it for others as well. We, could, we should seek to remind our brothers and sisters in Christ of it and of its implications for their lives and we should do everything in our power to bring those who do not know it to the knowledge of this grace and peace that Jesus Christ has purchased for us with his blood. That brings us to verses 4 through 6, um, which I will read again uh, briefly, um, which contain Paul's prayer for Philemon. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. So from here on out, Paul switches from speaking in the plural you, which we don't really have in English anymore unless you're from the South and you say y'all or some other dialect of English. Um, He switches from that to the singular you. So this letter, he's not addressing it to Philemon and Aphia and Archippus and the whole church. He's addressing it to Philemon particularly. This is an intimate, personal letter from Paul um, to Philemon. And it's Philemon that he is asking to do something for him. And Paul prays for Philemon. He tells Philemon how he's praying for him. He says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Paul approaches prayer to God with thankfulness. Not just with supplication, with asking God to do something, which is good and important. Not just with repentance and asking God for forgiveness, which is good and important. But he approaches God with thankfulness, with constant thankfulness. We see that this is a theme all throughout Paul's epistles. That he's constantly thanking God for what he has done. Um, Paul sets an example for us in that, of how we should be thankful in our prayers. Paul says he remembers um, uh, Philemon. Um, This is something that kind of echoes the Old Testament as well, where God is asked to remember his people. Just like in the Old Testament, this use of remembering, it's not not this idea of, oh, I forgot about you, and then I remembered you and decided to pray for you. Um, It's it's an intentional um, putting your mind upon someone and then acting upon um, thinking about them. So Paul intentionally... Um, thinks on Philemon and his family and then acts and takes, takes action by praying for him, praying for uh, Philemon. Uh, and then Paul says he's praying to my God, not to just a generic God, but to my God. It's, 
I, I love that turn of phrase. I think that's something that, um, that we could use more often as well, obviously, taking the context into account. But this, this taking of God as, as your personal God, this, this God with whom you have a personal, intimate relationship with. Not this, not this abstract deity who's in the sky who you believe things about and who you hope feels a certain way about you, but as, as a God who you really love and who you know and acknowledges really loves you personally and individually. I think that is something that Paul was so convicted of, and I think it's something that we also need to remember, that God really loves us and that he is our God, that he belongs to us. Um, And what does Paul thank God for? He thanks God for the work of sanctification that he's working in Philemon and in his family. Um, You see here that he he thanks God that Philemon... um, uh, he says, uh, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Scholars point out that this is, this is a chiasm, um, which is a, a fancy word for saying that something's written like A, B, B, A. Um, so here he's not talking about loving the Lord Jesus, even though that's an important thing. He's not talking about having faith in the saints which is probably something we shouldn't have. Um, he's talking about um, love for the saints, A-A, faith towards Jesus, B-B. Um, so it's, a, it's an artistic um, um, device that Paul is using here. So Paul's thanking God that Philemon loves the saints, not the Roman Catholic conception of the saints as especially holy people who, are, who have been canonized by the Vatican, but um, the people of God, like in the Old Testament, uh, in Israel, in the New Testament, the church, um, Philemon is loving the people of God really and tangibly. We see that um, in his physical provision of, for them, in allowing them, in, in bringing the church into his house to meet, uh, and later we'll see that how he refreshes them and, and ministers to them. And he says that he, lo- that he has faith in the Lord Jesus. And that is the source of this love. This sort of love that Philemon shows is not something that somebody pulls up out of themselves, summons from their own power. It is a love that can only flow out of faith in Jesus Christ and then the work of the Holy Spirit um, in our hearts. And something that's very striking here is that Paul does not give the credit um, for this or praise Philemon for his love or for his faith. He's thanking God for it. It's not, it's not to Philemon's praise that he has faith in Jesus Christ. And it's not even really even primarily to Philemon's praise that he loves the people of God. It's to the praise of God. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in Philemon that he has faith and that he has love. And so this thankfulness for Philemon's fruit and for the fruit of all of us, the fruit of all of our lives, the, the primary thanks for that is owed to God. 
and to God uh, and the Holy Spirit, his work um, in our hearts. Then, um, a little bit further on, uh, Paul moves from giving thanks to supplication, saying, I pray the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. This idea of um, sharing one's faith if we read it just sort of like service level in English, we might think that Paul is talking about Philemon going onto the street and evangelizing people or, or talking about the gospel with his co-workers. Um, and while those are certainly both very good things, and maybe Philemon did do those things, that's not what the sharing your faith here means. Um, that's not what the Greek word behind it means. Um, and I think Leah was telling me that the German Bible is a little bit clearer here, the, some of the German translations. Um, this is talking about um, the, the fellowship, um, the, sh- the sharing of, of faith, the fellowship of it with other believers, with his brothers and sisters um, in Christ, who the, the bond that they have um, and the, the, the interaction that they have within their faith with one another. In this, it is the sharing of the faith, this unity in Christ that he has with his brothers and sisters that the Holy Spirit is, uses, that Paul prays the Holy Spirit would use to become effective in Philemon's life, that he would come to full knowledge of every good thing. This idea of fullness, of full knowledge, um, is, a, is a huge theme in Colossians. Um, we see it in Colossians uh, chapter 1, verse 9 where Paul writes, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. In one nineteen, we see, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In verses 24 and 25 of that chapter, um, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister. Um, and then chapter 2, verses 2 through 3, um, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding, of wisdom, of knowledge. And finally, in verse 10 of that chapter, and you have been filled in him who is ahead of all rule and authority. Um, it's, it's quite clear throughout Colossians that the Colossian church was facing false teachers who were trying to convince the people that Jesus Christ was not enough for them to be, to be full, to be complete, um, to be, that, that something else needed to be added upon Christ for salvation, um, for their day-to-day lives, um, that Jesus Christ was not enough. Um, and Paul here, again in Philemon, even after writing this letter to the Colossian church as a whole, he presses it again to Philemon that this fullness comes from Christ and that this full knowledge um, leads to the knowledge of every good thing that is in us for Christ's sake. And that is every good work, that every good fruit that the Holy Spirit is working in us, is working um, in our hearts. Um, 
Paul is praying that, um, that Philemon would grow into the fullness of these good things. And um, kind of subtly underneath the words, you can get the implication that part of this growing into fullness of the good things will be Philemon doing the right thing towards Onesimus, his former or his escaped slave. Um, So when we look at this section, what can we take from it personally? Well, we've seen that um, we should give thanks to God when we pray. We should examine our own prayers. Are Are we focused merely on what we need or what we have done? Are we also focusing on who God is and what he has done for us? And for these things that Paul is, is praying that Philemon would get, are we also in our prayers and in our actions seeking this for other people? And are we seeking it for ourselves? Are we seeking after um, this, this sharing of faith and this full knowledge? And are we, um, are, we, are we seeking after it and are we trying to bring our brothers and sisters in Christ along with us. Then finally, we have verse 7, which I will uh, bring us through quickly, as I know our time is running short. Um, Let's read that again. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Refreshed. Paul is filled with joy. He's comforted by Philemon. Paul mentions in, in multiple uh, other places about, about being comforted, about being encouraged by people. He writes that in 2 Corinthians 7.4, in Colossians 4.11. And he's, he's comforted and encouraged not by what his, these people and these other churches are doing for him, um, for their serving him, or for their praying for him. He's comforted and encouraged by their sanctification, by their progress in the faith, by their love for one another. Um, And Paul needed that encouragement and comfort. Yes, Paul was an apostle, um, but he he needed, um, he was still a human being. He needed uh, to be encouraged by his brothers and sisters in Christ. So just like Paul, we should also Um, seek out encouragement and comfort from our brothers and sisters in Christ. And not just seek it out in the service of ourselves or the prayer of ourselves, but but to be selfless and and to find joy and find encouragement in the advancement of the kingdom of God and how the people of God around the world are are loving one another and are loving God and are faithful um, in God. These are things that should give us joy and not just the things that affect us personally and individually. And what is the specific thing that um, that uh, Paul is encouraged by from Philemon? Well, it is Philemon's love. It's his love. And this love is the source of every other good thing. We all know 1 Corinthians 13, so I won't um, read through it um, again. Um, 
But this, this love that Philemon has um, is, is the thing that, uh, that what Paul writes later is, is flowing out of. In fact, out of love in a person's heart that is worked by the Holy Spirit, good works and, f- and fruit overflow. And how does this overflowing happen in Philemon's life? Um, it is through the refreshing um, of the hearts of the saints, of the people of God. So Philemon's love is benefiting the people who are around him. Philemon has loved others. Has loved others. John Chrysostom, the, uh, the um, church father, uh, who his last name actually means golden-tongued because he was considered such a fantastic preacher, um, I think it's pretty awesome. Uh, it said, Nothing so shames us into giving as to bring forward the kindnesses bestowed on others, particularly when the intercessor is more entitled to respect than they. So I think by also by Paul pointing out here how Philemon has loved the saints and refreshed their hearts, he's pointing to them, Look what you have done for all of your brothers and sisters in Christ here in Colossae. And now I, Paul the Apostle, I'm asking you to also love this one and to refresh the heart of this one, of Onesimus. Of Onesimus. So how have we been refreshed by others? Have we been refreshed by the love of our pastors, our elders, deacons, by our other brothers and sisters in Christ, by family members, by friends? And how have they comforted us, encouraged us? Was it with the Bible? Was it with words of kindness, encouragement, of comfort? Was it through deeds, like coming alongside us, caring for us, bringing us a meal, binding up our wounds, giving us a hug? And then how can we take those experiences and take the examples of somebody like Philemon and put them into practice ourselves? How can we refresh others? One of the, I think, the the most basic way we can do it for believers, for our brothers and sisters in Christ, is to point them towards the beautiful truth of the gospel and to remind them of it. To not let them forget about it or to take it for granted. Because the gospel is not just the entry ticket into the fuller Christian life where we then advance to the point where the gospel is not that important for us. But it's something that we need to be reminded of again and again, every day, have it put before our face because we forget so quickly. We forget how profound it is, how life-altering it is, how it is the, the very basis of, of our existence, of our life, of our hope, and of any future advances that we hope to make in sanctification and holy living. And for unbelievers, the primary way that you can refresh them is by sharing the gospel with them. Yes, help them in their, in their immediate need, but whenever you can, 
and share the gospel with them. Because that is so much more important than any other temporary need. And it will supply their greatest need, their, the greatest emptiness that they have, the greatest, um, the biggest problem that they have. This will be addressed by the beautiful truth of the gospel that Jesus Christ has died for them, that their life has purpose, has a meaning, and that they can press, that, that, that all the, the sufferings, the trials of this life are only temporary until the eternal state of blessedness that we look forward to. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the incredible truth of the gospel. We thank you for the example that you have set before us of, of Philemon as someone who, who really loved you and, and loved your people. We thank you for the work that you did in his life and for causing Paul to, to write about it so that we may see it. And Father, we pray that you would help it to, to remind us to to think on the gospel, to think on all the things that you have done for us, all the things that you have done in us, that we would be encouraged by it and that we would be encouraged to, um, to, to live in a way that accords with it, with the truth of it, and that we'd be encouraged to share it with those who do not know it, that they would come to the knowledge of yourself. Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.